0: Our scripture this morning, we're continuing in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we're in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Uh, you can find that printed in your book. Mark 4, verse 35. We read this for us. This is God's Word. On that day, when the evening had come, He, and Jesus said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in a stir asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear, and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey? You pray for us. Father, this is, this is your word, and we pray now that you would open it to us, help us to understand it, believe it, Buy it live it. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we had a pretty good storm early this morning, so it probably woke some of you up. You heard this morning around six fifteen the power, the sound of a storm. Those of you who journeyed to Mississippi or Louisiana after Hurricane Katrina, you saw something of the power of the storm, you saw destroyed homes. And destroyed cars, destroyed trees, even destroyed cities. I was talking to a friend who, prior to Katrina, did intercity ministry in the Florida Housing Project. Uh, and he, he left before the storm. And I asked him, Well, what happened when you left? What happened when you moved away? Did the ministry you were involved in keep keep going? And he said to me, After I left, Katrina came. There's not a Florida Housing Project. Minister, gone. I've never been any, through anything quite like Katrina, but when Susan and I were living in Boone, uh, it was Christmas Day 2004. We were both we both grew up in Alabama, so we had never experienced a white Christmas, and snow was in the forecast, and we were excited about the possibility of snow. On Christmas Eve, it even started raining, and it rained, and it rained, and it rained, and then sometime in the middle of the night, that rain turned to ice. Then the next morning, that ice, it began to snow very lightly. So we had a dusting of snow. We had our white Christmas. But then the 80-mile-an-hour wind gusts started. And trees don't like that combination of water and ice and snow. So we spent Christmas Day listening to the tops of white pine trees. Well, about halfway up, they would literally crack and just fall over in the wind. As we were sitting and eating lunch, there was a bank of trees about where the. If, if, if our table was next to the window there, the trees fell on the sidewalk there. Five trees fell all at once as we were eating Christmas lunch. It was a very eventful quite Christmas. Not exactly the one that we were looking for. There's nothing quite like the power of a storm. There's nothing quite like the power of a storm. It's, it's untamable, it's uncontrollable. In Mark chapter 4. We find Jesus and his disciples in a storm. Jesus spent the day teaching the crowd near the Sea of Galilee. And we're told that when evening came, he gathered his disciples. He said, let's go across to the other side. So Jesus and his disciples headed out. Uh, There were other people in boats, evidently, along there, along with them as well. They go out into the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is about 700 feet below sea level. About 30 miles away is Mount Hermon, And it is 9,200 feet above sea level. And what happens is the cold air from the mountains rushes down and clashes with the warm air of the sea there. And so it tends to be a very stormy place in general. And what that means is fishermen were kind of used to, to it being stormy. It wasn't a big deal for a storm to blow up, usually. But evidently, this was the perfect storm. This was not your normal storm because it's clear from the text that the disciples think they're about to die and there's nothing they can do about it. There's nothing they can do about it. Several summers ago at Yosemite. There were some hikers who got too close to the edge and fell into a river and they were washed down this river over a waterfall to their deaths. And one of the people, one of the bystanders who saw this happen said, that, said the thing that haunts him still is the look on their faces as they were being washed down the river and they knew they were going to die and there was absolutely nothing that they could do about it. There was nothing that they could do to control their situation. There was nothing that they could do to control the storm. That's the situation the disciples found themselves in. What they desperately what they wanted at this moment was control over the storm, and it's exactly what they didn't have. I don't know if any of you have ever had a, a near-death experience, if you've ever ridden out a hurricane, but storms are a part of all of our lives. Storms of strained relationship, storms in our families, storms at work. Financial storms, legal storms, health storms. We're bombarded by storms. They're a reality for us. And they leave us stressed out, depressed, hopeless, angry, afraid, unsure of what to do. What do we we want in a storm? We want to fix it. We want somebody else to fix it. We want to hide under the covers. We just just want it to, to go away. Sometimes it doesn't. And that storm just lingers. It doesn't move on. It seems to just hang over our heads. And as storms linger, they can begin to bring our false hopes and our false saviors to light. They can begin to expose where our real trusts are. Now, there's, a, there's an old episode of House. Uh, where Cuddy, if you remember the character Cuddy, is diagnosed with a mass in her kidney, and everyone is convinced that she has cancer. And she and Dr. House have have started dating, and it's the first time he's really connected, or seems to have connected in a healthy way with somebody, and he cares deeply for her. But he doesn't know how to handle this situation. He, He doesn't know how to cope with what's happening to her. He doesn't know how to be there for her. And so he doesn't show up for the first test, first medical test. He doesn't show up for the second test. He doesn't show up for the third test. And finally, on the eve of the big operation where they're finally going to go in and figure out what's going on with her, he shows up. He comes into her arena. And everything's okay. They find out that, in fact, he doesn't have cancer. And we're all happy. You know, you're watching. They're happy. You're happy. Hey, he's finally done something right. He showed up. Until she finds out that he was stoned on Vicodin the night of that procedure. He was a recovering addict. And the only way he could cope with this situation, the only way he could cope with this storm in his life that he didn't understand was to start using again. And so she breaks up with him. And she tells him, I think in very C.S. Lewis type fashion, he says... When you care about someone and you're in a relationship with them, you're going to experience pain. You're going to get hurt. But all you think about is yourself, and that's all you ever think about. And she breaks up with him, and she leaves him sitting on the bathroom floor, popping, biting in pills once again to escape the pain of the storm. The storms expose us. That they're so traumatic. They expose where our true Saviors are so because of this. Because they're so traumatic, we'll, we'll do anything we can to escape them. We'll do anything we can to avoid them in the first place. And because all of life is a bit of a storm, we try to control our environment as best we can to hold the storms at bay, to shape the world the way we want the world to be shaped. And so we have to we have to we try to get power for ourselves, whether it's home or work or wherever that may be. Try to perfectly control our children's environment so that they'll turn out the way we want them to turn out. We worry continuously because life is stormy. as hard as we try, we can't control the outcome. We don't have the power to do that. It's kind of like we think if I can just work life the way I work the buttons on the remote control, then I can get things to the channel I want them to be on. But we can't control it. We, we can't do that. And trying to control it, trying to, 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 to bring it all in, trying to frantically work all the buttons on the remote just brings in more stress and more anxiety and more pain. It's like we're, we're pushing the car to the red line and eventually the engine blows. Power of the storm. It's real. It's real. The danger of the storm is real. It's not a pretend danger. It's a real danger. And so we desperately want power over the storm. So here are the disciples in the storm. What do they do? What do they do? They turn to this man who's sleeping in their boat. Uh, this man that they have seen drive out demons. This man that they have seen heal, heal a paralyzed man. And they wake him up. And they say, don't you care? Don't you care? We're all going to die. We're all going to die. Some of you have been in this situation. Like the disciples, you've said, Hey, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. But now you find yourself in a situation where it feels like he's asleep in the boat and you're trying to shake him to get him to wake up and to do something about your situation. Come on, Jesus. Do something. Don't you hear? Don't you see that we're drowning here? Don't you love us? Did, did, did we do something wrong? Tell us what we did wrong and we'll, we'll go back and fix it. You, you must not love me or you couldn't possibly allow us to go through this storm. And I think part of what this passage is, is teaching us is that Jesus does allow the people He loves to go through storms. It doesn't mean He doesn't love you. It doesn't mean He's not in control. But sometimes it's His good plan to take us through the storm. Tim Keller wrote this. He put it this way. If Jesus is God, then He's got to be great enough to have some reasons to let us go through things you can't understand. His power is unbounded but so are His wisdom and His love. Nature is indifferent to you, but Jesus is filled with untamable love for you. If the disciples had really known that Jesus loved them, if they had really understood that He is both powerful and loving, they would not have been scared. Their premise that if Jesus loved them, He wouldn't let bad things happen to them was wrong. He can love somebody and still let bad things happen to them because He is God, because He knows better than they do. If you have a God great enough and powerful enough to be mad at because He doesn't stop your suffering, you also have a God who's great enough and powerful enough to have reasons that you can't understand. You can't have it both ways. Well, the disciples wake Jesus up. What does Jesus do? Jesus turns the storm and he says, peace, be still. Now one commentator said this is best translated as shut up. <laughs> shut up, wind. Shut up, waves. And they did. And the, the wind stopped blowing. And the waves stopped. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't the wind stopped and then took the waves a few minutes to catch up. But like they just, everything went flat. The power of the storm is great, and so we want power over the storm, but what we really need is to know the one who rules the storm. The power of the storm is great, and so we want power over the storm, but what we really need is to know the one who rules the storm. If you've been over to our house, you know that we have a couple of dogs who kind of like to greet people. Uh, Boudreaux especially is very exuberant. Uh, but if, if I walk into the room and if I look at Boudreaux sideways and say, Boudreau, she immediately turns belly up like this. Right? It doesn't take much effort for me to, to do this to Boudreau. Uh, don't hold back for her. <laughs> Jesus does this with the wind and the waves. He says, wind, waves, and the wind and waves go belly up. Because they're his, and any power that they have comes from him. You know, if, if, if you're here today and you're not real sure of, of who Jesus really is, I would just encourage you to look really hard at what Mark is saying to us in this passage. Uh, ancient cultures very much believed that, that, that the sea, that the ocean, was something that only God could control. Now, the Old Testament, Psalm 33, put it this way He gathers the water of the sea as a heap, puts the deeps in storehouses. Psalm 65 refers to God as the one who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves. So, who is Jesus? Here is Jesus doing exactly that. He's not frightened, he's not casting spells like an abracadabra or something like that. He's not even praying. He just says, Peace. Be still. And Mark is saying to us, You really owe it to yourself to think really hard about who this man is. Because he's more than a man. He's more than a man. He rules the storm. Don't you want to know? Do Don't you want to know? Well, so what? So what? Jesus rules a storm. How should I react to this? Let me mention a few ways we ought to respond to this fact that Jesus is the one who rules the storm. Number one, this is a call for me to abandon my efforts to control everything. This is a call for me to abandon my efforts to control everything. I can't. I'm not in control. Nature is not in control. Jesus is in control. He, he may still take you through storms, yes, but the one taking you through the storms is the one who loves you. The one who loves you. one who is infinitely loving and powerful and wise is in control of my life. He's in control of the storm. What would happen if you and I actually believe that? What would that look like if we actually what if, what if I quit trying to be God? How would that affect the way I approach the storms of life? How would that affect my anxiety, though? How would it affect the way um, I interact with people around me if I wasn't trying to control them through guilt and manipulation to get them to do what I want them to do? There's a story told of a woman who husband was a Christian, but he, he really wouldn't step up and be the spiritual leader in the home. She was always having to nag him to pray and nag him to, to go to church so she would sulk and, and fuss and withhold affection from him unless he, he did what she wanted him to do. And how often do I do that? How often do you do that? How often do we even try to change people? Not through grace, not through love, but through guilt, manipulation, power trips, and condemnation. What if I simply loved the people around me and trusted God to change them? What if I gave up control? This passage is the call for us to abandon our efforts to control everything. Because we're not in control. Of what Jesus is. Secondly, this passage is a call to humility. This passage tells us that I'm not the master of my faith. I'm not the captain of my soul. Someone else is running the show and they're doing a much better job of running it than I am. And so I need to be humble for it. Thirdly, this is a call to boldness. Knowing that Jesus is the Lord of the storm explains why Paul is able to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you can actually seek to do great things for the kingdom of Knowing that at the end of the day, the one who's going to pull it off is not you. It's Him. It's the Lord Jesus Himself. Uh, When we were at the InterCity Revival this past Thursday, I was thinking, man, wouldn't it be great if we could figure out a way to come back over here and maybe minister the Bible to some of these kids hanging around playing basketball. And then you start to think, that's impossible. We're never going to be able to pull off anything like that. Can. But we know someone who can. We know someone who can. So maybe we shouldn't operate so much out of what we can't do and start operating what we know He can do. Wouldn't that lead to boldness? We really believed that He is the Lord of that He is the Lord of all things. He calls me to abandon my efforts to control everything. Calls me to humility, but at the same time, it calls me to boldness. Because I know the Lord is strong. Fourthly, it calls me to faith. Commentators see here a bit of a, a rebuke of the disciples. Why are you still afraid? Have you still that faith? This can also be translated as, "Where is your faith, guys? Where is your faith?" I think it's important for us to always remember about faith. And the main thing about faith is not the strength of my faith, it's the strength of the object that I'm putting my faith in. It's the object of my faith. If I'm looking for a chair that will hold me up, it doesn't matter how strong my faith is. What matters is how strong is the chair I'm hoping that will hold me up. If that chair only hold up 100 pounds, then I better not sit in it, even if I think it will hold me up, it's not going to. But if it will hold 500 pounds, then I'm good even if I have just enough faith to sit down in the chair. Jesus is saying to the disciples of the us in the middle of the storm, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Use your faith because I'm the chair that will hold you up. Put your faith in me. Rest in me in the middle of the storm. Don't you know That I'm right here in the boat with you. Don't you know that I'm right here in the storm with you? When you're in the storm, remember that. He hasn't abandoned you. He's in the boat. You may feel like he's asleep, but he's there. He's there. Call him. Look to him. Keep your eye on him the closing scene, or maybe the king's speech, uh, King George V dies, and Prince David ascends to the throne, but he abdicates the throne because he wants to marry a twice-divorced uh, American woman who lives in Baltimore, who's from Baltimore, and so we're, what we're left with to be the king of England is stuttering, stubborn, but stuttering Prince Albert. You can, he's trying to give speeches. He can never give speeches in public. He just mumbles his way through them. But he has this speech therapist has begun to work with him to try to get him to the place where he can actually give a speech. And so he's ascended to the throne and, and they're working on this, but they're not nearly there. And then World War II starts. And Hitler starts bombing England. And the king's got to give a speech whether well, he's ready to give a speech or not. So here he is, a stammering, stuttering king with less than an hour to get ready to give an eight-page speech over the radio waves, AM radio waves, <laughs> And the speech therapist comes and they they go into a room They go into the ring by themselves. It's nothing but them and the microphone. The speech therapist's name is, is Lionel Luke. And the speech therapist says to the king, he says, I'm with you. Keep your eye on me. I'll be with you the entire time. And Prince Albert, King George VI, gave one of the best speeches you'll ever hear. He gave the best speech his life. And we're told that for every speech he gave the rest of the war, his speech therapist was right there with him. He never left him alone. Because he knew that the only way he could give that speech was if his speech therapist was there. He kept his eye him. Jesus is with you. Jesus is with you calls us, Jesus is calling us to keep our eye on Him. As we all keep your eye on Him in the storm. How do you do that? can't see Him, can you? It's nice to hear that He's in the boat. Uh, Paul Miller describes a time in his life when things were so bad, he said he couldn't even pray. And so what he did was simply recite the 23rd Psalm over and over over that to help him keep his eye on the shepherd instead of on the storm. Now the fifth thing I think we ought to see from this is it's a call to pray. It's a call to pray. Uh, failure to believe that Jesus is the Lord of the Storm will produce massive amounts of anxiety in your life. But the same thing will happen when we fail to pray. It will produce massive amounts of anxiety in our lives. Uh, Paul Miller again writes, what does an unused prayer link look like? It looks like anxiety. Instead of connecting with God, our spirits fly around like severed power lines, destroying everything they touch. Anxiety wants to be God. It wants to be in control. It wants to rule the storm, but lacks God's wisdom or power or knowledge. A godlike stance without godlike character and ability is pure tension. Because anxiety is self on its own. It tries to get control. And he writes, "When you pray continuously, moments when you are prone to anxiety can be invitations to drift in the prayer. When you're when you're there's something you need to be anxious about, instead of turning that over and over and over in your head, instead of feeling guilty about being anxious, he says, use that as a springboard to pray, to reach out to God." You write, when you stop trying to control your life and instead allow your anxieties and problems to bring you to God in prayer, you shift from worry to watching. Instead of being out trying to design your life, you realize you're in God's drama. As you wait, you begin to see Him work. and Your life begins to sparkle with wonder. You're learning to trust again. So the storms of life, the anxieties we experience, are actually an invitation for us Not to to worry and worry and turn inward, but to turn outward and to go to God in prayer. Now, let me kind of wrap up by saying this. Does that mean that your story's always going to end the way that you want it to end? That you're going to come through the storm unscathed and unhurt? Not necessarily. Uh, But as as Tim Keller wrote, you have a God great enough powerful enough to be mad at because he doesn't stop your suffering. You also have a God who's great enough and powerful enough to have reasons that you can't understand. In 2006, uh, Dustin Salter was the campus minister at Texas Christian University. He was leaving TCU to become the campus minister at Furman and Greenville before he left, the last sermon he preached to his RUF, or actually was at his local church, was on Providence. And he had two main points. The two main points were this. He said, suffering either makes you bitter or it makes you beautiful. And his second point was this, remember when you suffer that you're in his hands and those are good things. Suffering either makes you bitter or it makes you and remember when you suffer that you are in his hands, and those are good hands. A few weeks later, he moved to Greenville, South Carolina, and the first sermon he preached at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Travelers Rest was that same sermon again. Suffering either makes you bitter or it makes you beautiful. Remember when you suffer, you are in his hands, and those are good hands. Three days later, he was in a freak bike accident. He suffered a traumatic brain injury, four months later, he died. He was in a storm. His family was in a storm. Did God bring them through the storm? He did. Not the way we might. Uh, I found myself wondering why. I still ask that question some days. there's a friend of mine, and I wonder why. He used to always call me. He wanted my job at App State because he wanted to come to bay, but The firm was as close as he could get to, to the mountains. And I find myself wondering why and, and hurting for his family. But, but somebody said something that day at his funeral. They said, can you imagine what he's experiencing right now? Can you imagine what he's experiencing right now? And it wasn't trite. It wasn't trite. It, right. it was the real hope of someone who knows someone who has power over the storm. You know someone who has power over sin and death. Dustin Salter got a head start on glory because he knew the God of the storm. He knew the God of the storm. He knew Jesus Christ who governs the storm. Jesus is the one who rules the storm. But Jesus is also the one who throws Himself for us into the storm of the Father's wrath, when he suffered for his people on the cross to redeem us. He went through that storm. So that we would never have to go through that storm. The one who controls the storm last himself to the mast of the ship and absorbed the full brunt of the storm. So that you and I would never have to go through that storm. So that you and I have eternal life. Where does that go all that? That leads to worship. That leads to worship. The text tells us they saw this happen and they were filled with great fear and they said to one another, do then this, but even when? They see, they, who is he? He's the God of the soul. He's the God of the soul. You don't need to control the storm because you know what is the rewards. You know, you know, you pray for us, Lord Jesus. We hate storms, we don't want to go through them, but too often you often do take us through them. So we pray for grace in the midst of the storm. I pray that you would give us humility, confidence, trust, and do this spirit of prayer instead of a spirit of anxiety. You he would help us to move out and try to live such self-protective lives in order to avoid the storms. He help us to move out in boldness us know that you are in control of all things. Father, I pray for those this morning who are, who are going through storms, who are having a hard time, thinking that you care about them. Uh, You you feel like you're asleep at the switch. Uh, Lord Jesus, would you let let them know that you love them, that you care for them? Would you draw their eyes to the cross where they can truly see how much you love them? Draw all of our eyes to the place where we see that you went through the storm of God's wrath so that we will experience an eternity in their storm. Help us to see that that and the rest of that. May it not just be a trite thing we talk about, but may that be something that we lean into fully every day. We pray it all for Jesus in your name.